Verse 42 has been our text for this series. I'm in. This is the end, all right? Some of you are like, Pastor, we're in. Please stop. Okay, this one's the last one. I'm in part five, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, they, the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They devoted themselves. This has been our entire thought in this series is that the early church was abnormally committed They were devoted, they were dedicated to what God was doing. I'm going to tell you this, God's raising up a church, not just in Allen, not just in in Wiley or Prosper, not just for Church 1132, but God's raising up the capital C church to be all in on what he's doing. And in is not out, In, in, in is not in here, it's out there. We have I'm in signs on every door in all our campuses as you go out. That is a reminder for us that what God's calling us to is not here. Some of y'all, I know you're really happy you made it in, but I'm here to tell you that in is not actually in. In is actually out there. And that's what was happening in the early churches. They were recognizing that what God was doing could not be contained in a day, a service, or just a certain allotted time. But the Bible says every day they met together, which tells me this, tells, tells me this that their faith was bigger than a Sunday. Their faith was bigger than a service. It overflowed throughout their life. Now we learned this in the series. If you've missed any of it, you can go back and watch it on YouTube or the podcast. But the early church encountered a lot of persecution. As, as, the, as the gospel was beginning to spread, as the believers were in, the enemy was working overtime to make sure they would be out. And this is what happens anytime God's trying to move, is that anytime you decide that you're going to be in, the enemy wants to make sure that you're out. That's what we call opposition. And the early church was encountering great opposition or persecution, and they were being scattered. Now, there's two words for scattered, and we learned this last week. Two Greek definitions. One, scattered is scattered so as to make disappear, which is what the enemy thought he was doing to the early church. But the Greek word in this text that we read last week, in Acts chapter 8, it's scattered so as to sow. Which means this, it's really exciting, what the enemy meant to destroy the church actually worked to advance the church. And let me just put it in your world, what the enemy meant to make you disappear, what the enemy meant to try to ruin you and make your impact uh, non-effective, God's actually using to advance you to spread you out, to sow you into places of influence where you can make a difference. Acts chapter 11 is where we're going to pick up. Persecution has has broke out, but the gospel is advancing at record speeds. Thousands of people are being added to the church daily. It's beginning to spread now from where it was uh, all, all the way into other regions, other places. Geographically, it's spreading. Acts chapter 11, verse 19, it says, Now those who had been scattered, same Greek word scattered, scattered so as to sow, by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. So now they're getting into different people groups. Spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks or to Gentiles as well, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. This is really key. We have a lot of people believing these days. Old school salvation experience was believe and turn. Americanized Christianity, just believe. Early church Christianity, believe and turn. Faith and repentance. 
says that they turned to the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them. Uh, verse 22, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas. This is one of the leading apostles. He's on the front lines of what God's doing. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he saw that there was evidence of their faith. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Now, this is, you got to put yourself in this world. This is one of the leading apostles. Right? Like they, they know the works and the teachings of Jesus. He comes, he's like, man, there's great evidence of God doing something in your life. And this was his encouragement. Now, I would be expecting like some heavy revelation. We call it heavy revy. Like a heavy, just drop it on me. Heavy revy, Barnabas, let's go. And, and, and he goes, hey, um, just keep doing what you're doing. Right. Anything else? Anything that could help us in this journey? Yeah, just keep, stay constant. Stay steady, bro. You travel all the way over here to tell me to stay steady? And this is what's happening in this story. It says he was a good man, Barnabas. They have to, like, qualify his advice. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Now, in all the scriptures that we've been reading, we see this common denominator, that wherever God is moving, wherever the early church is in, people are getting saved. I'm just going to propose this to you, that you cannot have a move of God without people getting saved. A move of God is not about us just getting together in our holy huddles and enjoying the presence of God. If God is being glorified, if Jesus is being lifted up, the Bible says he will draw all men unto him and people will be getting saved. If we want a move of God, then we got to recognize that means people are going to get saved, which means we need some mess in our churches. We need some people that when you say, turn to Job, they look up the book of Job. You know what I'm saying? When you say Psalms, they're like, where's Psalms? Like that. We, we need some mess. I remember, this, this might step on somebody's toes, but I remember we were, we were, um, we were in the old building. I was leading the youth ministry back in the day and, and the movement. And, and we had this kid come in. He's just hard. Everybody knew him from Allen High School. He's just a hard dude. And uh, he came in. Everyone's like, hey, so-and-so's here. So-and-so's here. And he's there. And he's just kind of like, he's, he's like he's looking at me and God like, do what you can. And uh, <laughs> power of God hits this dude. And you can see like he's up there and he's like has his face. And then like a tear comes down his face. And he's like. You know, wipe it off real fast. He's like, he doesn't know what happened with his eyes. And uh, he starts crying. He walks up to me afterwards, and I'm like ready for whatever he's going to say. He walks up to me. He's like, Pastor. I'm like, yeah? He goes, that was effing awesome. <laughs> Except he didn't say. Uh, he actually said, and you know what? A lot of people, leaders around like, oh, man, no, no, it happened. He said it. I loved it. I loved it. Because he didn't know better. See, this was happening in the early church. It was messy because people didn't know better. They weren't religious. I'm not telling you to talk like that. I'm telling we need people that don't know that they shouldn't talk like that. People that aren't educated in Christianity that are saying, what is this I feel? What's happening? What is going on here? This is what was happening in the early church. And the enemy thought he was scattering the church, but in fact, God was sowing the church to advance the gospel. See, I, I think in, in our culture, we're, we're big at being all in on stuff. Like, I mean, there's all kinds of things that our 2019 culture is in on. And a lot of these things, if you're in on it, and some of you are in this room, you're in on it, and, and you tell people about it. Like, I can't talk to you for about three minutes without hearing about it. Crossfitters, that's one. 
I love CrossFit. I've done CrossFit. Some of you are like, man, he's talking about my CrossFit. It's all right, man. I did the workout of the day yesterday. It's good. Like, I like CrossFit. But, man, CrossFitters, they tell you that they did. You know the other people that tell you? I'm coming for you. Some of you are laughing at that one. I'm coming for you. Now, you guys sell these uh, essential oils. You got fired from your job? Oh, I'm so sorry. Did you put peppermint oil on your right earlobe? Did you add a little rosemary to your left toe? You'll get it back. I mean, it's like there's oil for everything. I can tell all the people that sell oils in here like, like that's not true, Pastor. Actually, you use rosemary. No, like, hey, it's okay. I like oils. In fact, I'm glad my wife left because she loves oils. Now I can talk freely. It's actually kind of nice that she bailed on my preaching. But I, she loves them. She's like rolling these things on me. And I'm like, okay, like frankincense? That's what they gave Jesus. Now we're, now we're selling it. It's crazy. I started flipping over the tables in our house like Jesus in the temple. I'm like, we will not sell this. This is a happiness sugar. But oil people, they'll tell you. I'll tell you another one. Vegans. I'm trying to offend everybody today. Y'all like, man, I was laughing through the first two, but that's just downright wrong, Pastor. Some of these people, I mean, they're just in on what they do. Now, you know, you know the Bible does say to eat meat, right? Uh, it, it, it does. Acts chapter 10, but nobody's looking. It's all right. It's all right. Plant-based food is great. Plant-based diet is it's good. When you're in on something, you're in. When you're in on something, you tell people about it. There's nothing right or wrong with any things I'm talking about. I'm just talking about the passion that is attached to the things that we're devoted to. The passion that is connected to the things that we're dedicated to. And the early church was so dedicated that it was all that they could talk about. They were so in that what come, came out of their mouth was dedication. It was the gospel. You know what the gospel means? Gospel means good news. Well, that's really encouraging because some of you thought the gospel was like you had to go through the four spiritual laws and you had to go through the Romans road. No, it's just the gospel. It's good news. It's Jesus sees you. He loves you. Jesus died for you so that you could live. Whoever's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. The new is come. That's the gospel. It's good news. The early church was sharing this good news everywhere that they went. And the more the enemy scattered them, the more the gospel spread. And what's interesting is that God used the persecution of the world to position them for the purpose of the gospel. And I would just like to put this again in your world. God will use the persecution of the world in your life to position you for a greater purpose. You thought the persecution was going to take you out. God said, I'm going to use the persecution. I'm going to posture you so that you can make a difference in your world. The, the early church, they... They were so in on the gospel that they were actually out on some other things. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You can't be all in on one thing and not be out on something else. You, 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 can't, you can't be all in as a vegan without being out on eating meat. That, that's, does this make sense? But for many of us, for Christianity or religion or Jesus, it's Jesus and we add him to what we already do. We add him to our already 
clouded calendar, full calendar. But Jesus was never meant to be an add-on or to an addition. He was meant to be all by himself. Jesus is enough. He's always been enough. He always will be enough. In fact, in Hebrews, it says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He handled yesterday's problems. He's handling today's problems. And he'll be just fine with tomorrow's. It's Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. And the early church was seeing this, and, and early scholars and theologians will tell you that the early church actually, they stopped doing some of the things that was culturally permissible to do. One of those things was even if you had a God that you worshipped, you would also attend the pagan festivals or pagan holidays of other gods. Well, when the gospel began to spread across, across this region, the early church stopped participating in pagan holidays, pagan festivals, and pagan feasts. In fact, and this was ironic because we just talked about this in Wiley and they, they meet in the theater, they stopped going to the theater because there was all kinds of vile acts that were being done in, in the theater. So they started to decide things that they would be out on. Now, for religious people, we get excited about this. Yep, that's right. We shouldn't go to any movies ever. Don't listen to secular music ever. Like, calm down for a second. This is what the early church was characterized by. It was not what they were out on, although they were out on many things. It was the love in which they lived with. Religion says, if I'm out on it, you should be out on it. Relationship says, Jesus, what do you want from me? Religion tries to lump all of us in. Well, if I can't do it, you can't do it. And if you're doing it, shame on you. You're a sinner. You're going to... Relationship says, Jesus, deal with my heart. Deal with me. See, this is what was happening in the early church is the judgmental religious leaders who were all looking at what everyone else was doing all of a sudden now had eyes on themselves. And they started to work on their own behavior and their own conduct. And it was spreading rapidly because they were in on God. They were in on the gospel. They were out on some other things, but they were not out to a place of shame or, 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 or condemnation. They were out personally from a place of love. To be all in on one thing requires you to be out on something else. Now, in the early church, verse 23, Barnabas arrives and he's pumped. Like we read that, he's like, man, this is awesome. I can see evidence of the grace of God in your life. I can see evidence that God's working. So his encouragement was not a major thesis. His encouragement was not heavy-revy. His encouragement, we found, we read this, was to be constant or to remain. Now, what was the evidence that the early church had that showed people that they were in? I'm going to give you a couple things. This is, this is the I'm in test, all right? And I'm, I'm going to take it. You can just watch, okay? So then it, nobody else gets offended because I already offended so many people, all the vegans and the crossfitters. And, and it, anyways, this is the I'm in test, my time. My time. If you look at my calendar, you can see what I value. You can see what I prioritize. You can, you can see it on my calendar that my family is a value to me. Right now, specifically, in this season of the year, you're going to see on my calendar that hunting and football are a priority. Like a major priority. Specifically, football. For the rest of today, and God bless the Cowboys and the Seahawks today as they play. Kick off in five minutes. Uh, but I will be here. Just so you know, I'll be here preaching. My time, because you're valuable. 
My time. That's a test. And I'm in test. My time. Now, this is where the other services got quiet, but I know you won't. My money. I uh, see, I knew. My money. This is a test. It's an I'm in test. Because you should be able to look at your account and see the things that you value or see the things that you prioritize. I look at it and I can see, wow, that's definitely a value. Some of you, there's some certain restaurants, that's a value. There's some, some of you that, that, that hunting gear, that's it's a value. It's, you can look at it. You can look at it and see what is a value. When you look at your time or you look at your money, would it tell people what you're in on? And would what you're in on be the thing that you would say with your mouth? Or only the thing that you, does this make sense? Would it line up? When I asked you if you were in and you would say yes, would your time and your money collaborate that, corroborate that story? Uh, my time, my money, my relationships. Who I do life with and what I do with them. Would that tell people I'm in? Because in Americanized Christianity, we say, just do whatever you want, man. You believe? Awesome. But does that tell the, not just us, each other, does it tell the world something? Like, I, I, I was actually really, really thinking about this and convicted because I'm like, what did Mr. Sheriff think of me today? Now, it's funny, but at the same time, that is the conduct that he witnessed, like, does my conduct, this is the last one, my conduct, does my conduct tell people what I'm in on? My time, my money, my relationships, my conduct. If you pass all of those tests, you can just decide you're in. That is the conclusion of, if you can see my time, you can see my money, you can see my relationships, you can see my conduct, I'm in. But we have a problem in the church, and this is the next series we're going to start talking about, which I shouldn't tell you because you're probably not going to come back for it because it's going to be convicting. But it's congruence, which is harmony. It means harmony between what I say and what I do. It is the greatest limiter to the church today is us saying one thing and doing another. And I'm going to talk about the harmony in your parenting and in your marriage and how these things work together because that's how you build trust is congruency. How do we build trust with the world? By being in harmony with what we say and with what we do. So let me just ask you this as we begin to wind down. So the church, early church was out on some things. These were the things they were in on. But what Barnabas says to the church is he says, now remain. Now, if you study your New Testament, all over the New Testament, there are words like remain, be constant, stay steady, continue. You can see this all over the New Testament. Because it's one thing to, to decide to be in. It's another thing to stay in. Let me just help you for a second. Has anyone ever started a diet? Yeah, I didn't have to go there. Like, I am really making everybody mad today. Does anyone even remember what your New Year's resolution was? I don't. I mean, it's like, I don't even, what? New Year's, that was a long time ago. A New Year's, because it is easier to start something than it is to finish something. And I think the problem with the church is not so much that we don't have a desire to be in. The problem is how do you stay in? How do you stay constant? How do you do what Barnabas said? And how do you say, okay, keep doing what you're doing? Verse 23 in the message translation, it says this. As soon as he, Barnabas, arrived, he saw that God was behind and in it all. He threw himself in with them, got behind them, urging them to stay with it for the rest of their lives. That's what Barnabas was saying. Stay with this. What you're doing, your conduct, your, your time, your, your money, stay with it. 
He says, for the rest of your lives. Verse 23 in the Passion Translation, another translation, it says, when he, Barnabas, got there, and he witnessed for himself God's marvelous grace, the signs, the evidence of being in, obeying his word, and serving him wholeheartedly, it means that, oh, excuse me, he was enthused and overjoyed. He encouraged the believers to remain faithful and to cling to the Lord with passionate hearts. If, if I were to draw a circle on this stage and I said, I'm going to stay in the circle and I want you, somebody, I'd pick someone like small and not very strong and I, and I would say, try to push me out of the circle. All right? Try to push, push me. And they came up here and tried to push me out of the circle. I could do my best to stay in, but it would be a struggle. But if in that circle you put an anchor point that I could cling onto, it would take a lot of effort and a lot of work to move me out of the thing that I'm in on. So this is what Barnabas says through the Passion Translation. He says that you need to cling to, how do I stay in? You have to have something in there that you cling to. And the thing that you cling to has to be unmovable. Because if I cling to a pastor, that's movable. If I cling to a service, that's movable. If I cling to a worship leader, that's movable. If I cling to a song, that's movable. So I have to have something that's unmovable. And the psalmist says that God is the rock that is higher than I. In fact, he says that he is a strong fortress. He is a refuge. He's unmovable. He's unshakable. So the key to being in is not balancing my conduct. It is clinging to my rock. For a lot of us, we just try to do right, balance, stay right, don't get pulled over, don't do this, don't do... No, it's not the balance. That's religion, friend. It is trying to stay in with no anchor is religion. Relationship says, God, my rock is in with me, and I cling to him, and I hold it to him, and nothing, come hell or high water, can move me out of what I'm in on. Can you picture a church or a family or a relationship or a parent like that? They're in and they cannot be moved. Think if you could have trust in your marriage like that. We know they're in and he won't be moved. We know she's in and she won't be moved. Think if we had leaders in the church like that. We know they're in and they will not be moved. I was driving through, uh, I did drive through in and out last night, and, um, and yeah, you know, it was sad, soccer Saturday, had a quick meal, go in, and um, I get a protein style, just so you know, that's just, that's just me, that's uh, lettuce instead of bread, whiter the bread, the faster the day, it's just a little saying, and if you stay lean and mean, you gotta go no bread, all right? Uh, so I, I'm in the drive through and I'm thinking to myself, it's in and out, right? It's in and out, in and out. In and out. That's what makes it so great. Drive-throughs or fast food is that it's in and out. And I, I, I ordered. I got what I ordered. So I was in. I received what I wanted. And then I was out. And the Holy Spirit started to speak to me about the ways that we see or do church. It's, it's restaurant theology. It's in get what I need, get what I want, and I'm out. I'm in, get what I need, get what I want, and I'm out, in and out. 
And I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me, and I put it up on the notes for you to see, is that the gospel isn't a restaurant. It's a residence. The gospel is not something that I visit when I need something. The gospel is something that I live in. I'm in. John chapter 15, verse 4, in the message translation, it says this. Live in me. Now listen to this. Make your home in me. Make your home, your residence. Make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you're joined with me, unless you're connected. Make your home in him. How do you stay in? Because that's really the question that we're trying to answer, answer today because all of us want to be in. All of us jump up and slap the sign on our way out saying that we're in, but how do you remain? Why did Barnabas travel all of those miles to come to the church that was doing well and his one message is keep doing what you're doing? Because he knew that what they were doing was good, but there would be opposing forces that would try to get them out. That's why Jesus in John chapter 15 said, if you're going to make it, you can't make it outside of me. In fact, apart from me, you can do nothing. You've got to be in with me. Not just in. i got to be in and anchored too. i got to be in and holding on to who he is. To cleave means to cleave to the Lord, to hold on to. It includes loving the Lord, walking in his ways, obeying his word, and serving him wholeheartedly. It means that we belong to him alone and that we cultivate our devotion to him. There's a, a story of an um, old missionary, Corrie Ten Boom. Maybe you've heard of her. She was a prisoner of war in World War II and a phenomenal woman of God. And her and her sister were imprisoned in a, in a concentration camp. And her sister, both of them loved the Lord. Her sister died right before her eyes in the concentration camp. And Corrie Ten Boom would go on and, and miraculously, all kinds of miracles happened in her life to be released. And the gospel, she spread the gospel. And it was just incredible what she did with her life. But she pinned these words that have been echoed throughout the years by all kinds of different people. But they're really incredible. And I, th I think it really sums up what we're trying to say today. She said this, you may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. You may never know that Jesus is all that you need. The reason we don't know is because we never are without something. But if you were, for some reason, to be left with nothing and he was all you have, it'd be proof to your heart and to your soul that he's all you need. We may never know that Jesus is all we need until he is all that we have. How do you stay in? I'm not connected, and I want you to be connected to Church 1132. I'm not connected to a group, and I want you to be in a group. Above all of that, I'm connected to him. He's my source. He's my joy. He's my peace. Nothing can move me. Not disappointment, not offense, not unforgiveness. Nothing can shake me. I'm connected. I'm in. How do you stay in? You, you keep a grip on him. I'm doing the right thing. I'm in connect class. All of that is important. But if you're not connected to him, it's religious duty that does not breathe life. Life comes from relationship, which comes from being connected to him. I'm unmovable. I'm unshakable. I can remain because I have him. 
I feel the presence of God in this room. He loves you so much. God loves you so much. He's not, he doesn't want a church that just does things for him because it's the right thing to do. He wants a church that's in relationship with him. That outside of these Sunday services, you have communion and fellowship and relationship with him. On your drive to work and in your home, all throughout the day that you talk to him, that you hear from him, that you worship him. That this relationship is like the early church that every day, outside of services, we're in. And we stay in by being connected. Some of you wonder, I've been trying to stay in, Pastor. I just, I'm in and out. I'm in and out. I start and I don't finish. It's all right. You just got to get connected to him. And once you take hold of him, everything's going to change. Everything's going to change. Because all you need, honestly, all you need is him. It's Jesus at the center. It's Jesus all by himself. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's Jesus. It's the Savior of the world. He is our Savior. He's peace. He's joy. He's hope. All of the things that we need is found in him. It's him. Thanks for listening to the Church 1132 broadcast. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience or at church1132.com.